Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Municipal Election Day, uh, well, one week away. Uh, next Monday is uh, voting day. And uh, as you've been hearing, of course, uh, when the polls close, I keep it right here on CHML for up to the second results. And, uh, of course, interviews with uh, the winners and uh, some of the non-winners, too, I'm sure, as we go through. Looking forward to that. Uh, but at, now that we're just a few days away from this, I'm, I'm assuming that by now a lot of us have started to peruse some of the campaign literature. I know you tend to ignore that because, uh, you know, it gets dropped off. It's just you yeah, haven't got time to read that right now. But you got to make a decision about, you know, who you're going to support here. And, and you'll notice as you start reading through this, uh, an awful lot of campaign promises, especially from, uh, from some of the challengers uh, for these jobs, uh, because they want to break the mold. They want to do something different. And you, you hear all sorts of things like uh, term limits for counselors. There's a common one that you see an awful lot of the time. Uh, reducing salaries, uh, you know, all these sorts of things. Uh, some even talking about redrawing the ward boundaries. I don't think we want to go there again, but it's out there in somebody's literature. On and on it goes. But, you know, that's all the stuff you hear at election time. But when, you know, the rubber hits the road and the new council is elected, uh, very few of those things even get discussed, let alone enacted. Uh, And there's probably some pretty good reasons for that. John Best, who's going to be with us on election night, uh, joins us right now, uh, president, of course, and publisher of the Bay Observer, uh, to talk about the process and uh, the system, quote unquote. How are you doing this morning, John? Doing great, Bill. Thanks. Uh, getting jacked up for this? I mean, uh, we're, we're political animals, obviously, and uh, we're getting down to the short strokes now. Really are. Um, uh, you know, I don't know exactly when people, how many people have still not made up their minds, but I, I still think there's there's um, some movement uh, possible in this final week, and we'll have to see how the candidates uh, uh, approach. Uh, you know, this is really all out now for everybody whether you're running for council or mayor so um, yeah this will be an exciting week for sure bill but uh, even especially i think for the the, con- uh, you know, the contenders are one thing those you know, that are, are looking to unseat a con- uh, you know or maybe to grab a vacant seat the, the only way you can really se- separate yourself apart from all the others is, is to really be bold isn't it yeah i mean you you need to somehow i i can tell you <laughs> partly from personal experience uh, going way back, that uh, offering a positive alternative to whoever's there is probably not enough. It probably just doesn't work. It's great to present your credentials, and you know. And I, I just spent some time uh, over the weekend going through uh, some of the the candidates uh, for the various uh, positions, and you know, a lot of these people are really uh, very well qualified for yeah. the job. If, if they won, they, they'd absolutely uh, look like they'd have the right kind of background. There's a number of small business people that uh, are, have offered themselves, people with uh, community organization backgrounds. Um, but, uh, you know, to, to separate yourself from, particularly if you're running against an incumbent, um, it, it's very, very difficult uh, without putting some kind of a shock factor into your into your narrative. But when you do that, and I just mentioned some of the examples because I did the same thing you did, trying to go through some literature here, uh, and not just in my area, but I mean right across the city to try to get some sort of an idea as to who may be on this next council. Uh, when when they float ideas like electoral reform and and or redrawing boundaries or term limits or things of this nature. Uh, that makes for great literature during campaigns, but it never seems to get onto the docket once the uh, the new council is elected. No, and and it never will. Uh, you know, uh, as you as you stated in your comment, I mean, what what councillor, no matter you know, no matter how how much you might believe in 
you know, turnover and, and term limits, you're, you're, you're simply not going to get that through any council anywhere. Uh, the only way that would happen would be if the provincial government intervened, as they did in Toronto, where they just slashed the number of wards. But you're, you're never going to get a council to voluntarily say, hey, let's, uh, let's put ourselves out of business and uh, let's cut our salaries. That's just not on. And uh, I think, generally speaking, the, the voting public don't place too much stock in those kind of promises. There's a lot of similarity, I must say, uh, when, when you go through, like there's all these 80-odd uh, candidates for council. Uh, so many uh, themes are recurring, Bill. Um, affordable housing, I, I don't think there's hardly a candidate that hasn't mentioned affordable housing. And that's probably one of the toughest issues to solve of, of any issue we face right now. The You know, the not only the condition of our existing affordable housing, but just the... the size of the waiting list and how would we ever uh, ever come anywhere close to meeting the demand well and may, that may well be because it's been front of mind for an awful lot of the councillors this past term of council and, and council made a big commitment financial commitment to that uh, it's uh, it's a drop in the bucket according to what needs to be uh, you know done here but I mean that that's why they're looking for partners but I, I think the dynamic has changed over the last number of years John I think there's there's more of a concern now about uh, about things like transit and about uh, affordable housing and things of this nature but how do you separate yourself from the pack then to suggest uh, you know hey I, I, I'll be different uh, and try to get that done because we, we know what happens once the new council is actually sworn in. And, and they start sitting down there. There is, let's face it, and it's not unique to Hamilton, but we'll talk about this situation. Uh, a lot of people have been there for a long, long time, and they're kind of happy with the status quo and the way things are. They'll, they'll make little changes, but they don't want to do anything that's going to be monumental. No, I mean, there's a tremendous inertia that, that's built into the system. Uh, it's not simply, uh, if you will, the let's call it the old boys club, but the old counselors club. It's it's not simply them, but but there's also kind of a an unspoken pact between council and staff that that makes anybody that's too wild-eyed um, probably on the outs. And I, you know, if you look back at a the most recent example, would be Donna Skelly. Why why was she so unpopular with her her colleagues at City Hall and and to some degree with staff? And and I think what you would see there is that she challenged the status quo, uh, in you know not not really radical ways, but she, you know she was asking questions like why do we have to spend a hundred thousand dollars on a on a consultant for virtually any project that comes before council, why you know why do we have to spend a hundred thousand dollars to to plan um, a parking lot expansion of twenty four spaces. But she, uh, you know, she upset that delicate balance of um, uh, that sort of exists between council and staff, and and so you you see it in in things like this being an election year. You see all the shave and paving that's going on uh, in the various wards earlier this year, uh, road improvements, and and that's you know indicative of of a kind of an unspoken pact that. Uh, between uh, council and staff that will kind of save up some of these projects until uh, uh, until that uh, you know till we get into an election year. It's and by the way, I'm not trying to paint everybody with the same brush because I mean there no. are some veteran councillors who do still some very good work here in the city on some very important files. We get that, 
but yep. but the other there just seems to be a mindset and and again I'm, I'm sure it was the same way in Toronto I, we don't know a little bit about the mansionings of, of what happened uh, you know in the Toronto Council and other councils in this area uh, you you know the longer you're there you, you simply become part of the furniture really and and you don't want anything that's going to be radical and and there's always every now and then somebody new comes along and says well yeah but we should do this and we and they'll tolerate that to a certain extent but if they become persistent about it you're absolutely right that counselor runs a pretty good risk of being marginalized and good luck trying to get anything through then that's right I mean there's a, you know there's a system that uh, that operates and and it even operates in the wards I mean I I've been in this election I've been hearing stories about uh sitting councillors who um are outraged that a, a group of citizens would dare to form a neighborhood association without consulting with the councillor uh it's anecdotal so I'm not naming councillors but uh, you know that kind of uh, you know, ward control uh, is obviously an attempt to um, to maintain a, a status quo and a and a control factor. So there's a lot militating against anybody that's got a hundred new ideas. Uh, it'd probably be smart to boil it down to maybe one good idea that that you might be able to implement in your in your ward. And you know, it's kind of sad in a way that uh, you know that in in many ways what we're saying, Bill, is that it's uh, you know that the council chamber is not a forum for ideas. Uh, it's more of a forum for uh, controlled uh, status quo uh, maintenance. Well, and, and there's a you know you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours attitude, and and that seems to pervade just about every level of politics, but certainly at the municipal level. In other words, look at this is my projector, and this is going to score me some points in my area. So you support this, and so when you have one just like that in your ward, I got your back too. As Mackenzie King once said, they attach too much urgency to their re-election. So it's you know at the end of the day, it's it, it is a job uh, for for a number of uh, our councillors. It is their livelihood, and they're going to tenaciously hang on to it uh, in any way possible. Having said that. <laughs> Uh, there is an opportunity here for a change and maybe even a change in attitude. Uh, in all likelihood, there are going to be well, at least three new faces, I guess, and maybe more. Yep. Yeah, there, there is. But, you know, I, I think we looked at the last election uh, in 2014 where we got four new faces. And uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I was not knocked out with, uh, with the change that we got. Um, I, I, you know, there certainly was uh, no particular change in the direction of council. And, uh, it, it, you know, so getting, I think the one thing we've learned, because we went through so many elections where there were no new faces, uh, then we get an election like 2014 where we had four new faces, and I think my takeaway on that is that new faces don't necessarily mean new direction. Well, because it's awfully easy to fall into step with everybody else, isn't it? It certainly is, and, and I mean, the pressure is uh, just incredible to conform. So, you know, it, it, and, and yet, you know, you, we, we talk like this, and I, I don't want to ever think that we should just throw up our hands and say to hell with it, that's the way it is, and, and you know, there's nothing we can do. I think, I think we still have to keep trying for uh, where it's necessary for incremental change. And, and, and that greater change that, that some of these candidates are still talking about, uh, back to your point from earlier in the conversation, John, that's, that's got to come from Queen's Park. I mean, any, any major change that has gone on with the way that this city is, is, is governed 
have happened because of Queen's Park, whether it was uh, regional government back in the 70s, whether it was amalgamation, whether it was downloading, or any number of those things. Uh, those are provincial directives. They're provincial orders, really, and, and we must comply. Yeah, and, and I think it, it really, uh, it, it's quite frankly, we waste a, a lot of time uh, as, you know, certainly candidates are, are really wasting their time and their breath uh, if they're going to talk about electoral uh, reform. Uh, you're not going to get a change to uh, first past the post because, I mean, at the end of the day, if you analyze uh, proportional voting, what it means is that somebody who wouldn't win uh, under first past the post might win under proportional uh, representation. So there, there's zero incentive for anybody in an incumbency. Well, they had that, John. They had that chance. Remember, people yeah. tend to forget that the Wynn government actually, I think when Ted McMeekin was the municipal affairs minister, they said, look, at any community that wants to use, a, you know, I think it was ranked balloting was the option they were given, yes. instead of this first past the post, feel free, we will bless. So, uh, nobody, crickets, nobody picked that up. Said, Are you kidding? We're not going to do that. No. No, and, and when it was put to, uh, uh, I think it was also put to a provincial-wide uh, uh, plebiscite uh, a couple of elections ago, yeah. and, it, and it was turned down, I think, by almost a two-to-one margin. So it's not even something that uh, the majority of voters are asking for. It's, it's more, you know, if you look at the political stripe of people that are constantly talking about proportional representation, um, they typically represent third parties uh, that don't win as much as they think they should. There is, a, you know, for anybody who's sitting there thinking, my God, this is, uh, there's never going to be any change. This is ridiculous. Uh, I, I think it is coming. And now, and, and you use the Toronto example where Premier Ford just slashed the size of the Toronto Council uh, and, and suggest, suggested at the time that no, he didn't plan for doing that anywhere else yet. Not at this time, I think was the phrase that he used. But they are reviewing the Municipal Act. And, and I got to think there's going to be some kind of reform that's going to come down. Uh, that's going to have an impact not just on Hamilton but other municipalities as well. Well, and and if we look at the template in Toronto, it would it would follow provincial boundaries. Uh, that that would be the likely uh, way it would work out. Now you take a community like Hamilton, where we only have five provincial or federal ridings, uh, a five-person council would be uh, just would not work. I mean, all we have to do is look at Burlington with a six-member council. And you see uh, th that that is not working. Uh, those councillors are so overwhelmed with paper. You might as well, you know, really staff are running the shop. Uh, not that they don't run most shops, but at least there's some element of uh, advising consent. But um, I guess what you'd be looking at in a Hamilton circumstance, if they went by provincial boundaries, uh, would be electing one or two or three at large in each of the wards. Yeah. And that would be an interesting dynamic, actually. If you started, uh, let's say we decided that we were going to maintain a 15-person uh, council, uh, that that would be three in each ward, and if you elected them at large, it could you you could get some some new faces. Then I think you know the 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 best known councillors would still likely get returned, but number two and number three uh, it, it could end up being quite interesting. Well, and I know that's under review, and and let's face it, there's no rush. I mean, obviously the premier had his own agenda for doing what he did with the Toronto Council. But, uh, you know, this is you know going to be a four-year term once this election is over next Monday. Uh, so they got lots of time to enact in, uh, uh, different changes. I mean, I've heard they're toying with the idea of reducing the uh, the term now down to three years, what used to be, and they moved it up to four a few years ago. 
uh, and there's rumblings at Queen's Park that they're going to drop it back down to three. Well, uh, that might not be a bad thing because we seem to be locked into a cycle now where we get a provincial and a municipal election in the same year, and that, that's likely to be the case uh, four years from now. We'd we'd have a provincial election followed closely by a municipal election, and uh, you know, and really these elections, uh, especially at the provincial level, could have profound effects on on municipal because. Look what Ford did uh, with Toronto. Uh, we could end up, say, another party, uh, the NDP or uh, the Liberals, should somehow form a government again. Uh, they might undo some of his policies in the same manner that he slashed through uh, the Liberal policies. Uh, you know, we, there's a there's a real swinging pendulum now. We do, we don't simply elect uh, new governments. We we seem to absolutely go from one extreme to the other uh, in terms of policies and see it in the states. And it's uh, a very volatile time for politics. So you you don't know uh, when you enact a policy whether who who would have thought that uh, Ford would have um, you know done uh, taken away the uh, carbon tax. And, and just completely reversed uh, a lot of what had happened in the previous government. But he did. And, and it can happen the other way as well. But we don't tend to see those sorts of dramatic changes at the municipal level. Is it, is it because there's always a, a, a steady group of people that get returned to the office? I think so. I, uh, I mean, you look at the, you know, the, the most volatile job uh, at the municipal level is mayor, uh, because we, you know, how many, we, we haven't had a two-term mayor, two-consecutive-term mayor since amalgamation, uh, but other than that... I mean, 1997 we went, was the last time we re-elected yeah. an incumbent. Bob Morrow got re-elected in 1997. That's and That was the last time that... any. Uh, now, there have been some reasons for that. Of course, Bob Wade didn't stand for re-election, nor did Bob Rutina. Uh, right. But, you know, there have been other situations where uh, the, the incumbent has uh, not done well on election night. Yeah, and uh, and if we, you know, had the time to go through it statistically, I would say that in terms of uh, council, uh, it, it's probably about a 95% return rate for incumbents running for re-election. Uh, very, I mean, you can count on one hand the number of times when a sitting incumbent was defeated. Not very often. Well, very, we'll, John, very rare. I'm sure we'll have that time next Monday night when you join us uh, down at City Hall for the election results. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Oh, so am I. Thanks so much for this today. Okay. John Best, uh, the publisher, of course, of the Bay Observer. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.